Welcome to the Vell Institute podcast. I'm your humble servant and host, Terry Weaver. Our mission for this podcast is to bring you stories about veterans, entrepreneurs, and leaders who are doing fascinating things with their lives. Our hope is to inspire you because we believe that inspired individuals will change lives, both theirs and others for the good. Bell Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we're asking for your support. There are two ways to do that. One, by getting involved with our mission, and two, by contributing financially. Please visit vellinstitute.org. That's V-E-L institute.org to help us make an impact. Well, Bob, it's, it's my pleasure to get to sit down with you and talk about uh, life and leadership and Vell Institute, and you've been a friend of mine for a couple years now. We started Vell Institute and really just started out of a passion, and we started holding leadership training. We did it in a chiropractor's office who's a mutual friend of ours, and you mm-hmm. came in and you kind of saw what was going on, and, and it seemed like you immediately wanted to be a part of that because you liked what we were doing. Yeah. You want to talk about why? <clears throat> um. Anything that I can get involved with that gives others, particularly leaders, and we're all leaders, an opportunity to grow for themselves and for the benefit of others. There's something really special about that. Um, Seeing them come alive, and that's when I come alive. And it's been a number of years now, and I can't believe what has transpired, but I'm very grateful for that, and as I continue to try to figure out what is this Val thing all about, to kind of internalize it so I can share it with others and what it means to me. There's something that is really unique about getting three different kinds of people, veterans, entrepreneurs, and leaders together, and growing by going through a book, studying the book, coming and talking about it, and coming to hear what other people say about it, and as I think about those times and I think of the people that grow, um, all of a sudden I don't look at them as veterans, entrepreneurs, and leaders. And I really don't know of any other forum, any other initiative that is going on today that is like that. Um, we all become equal and we're, we are learning from each other and we become closer and we make friends. And I think in some of these cases, we are making lifelong friends. And we are touching lives, and they're gonna go out and touch others' lives. But I even thought, this is so unique. Um, And God is all over this, and working through you and your friends. But it's almost like if we took African Americans, and Hispanics, and Caucasians, and put them together, and studied something, we would find out that we have a whole lot more in common than we think. Oh yeah. And then all of a sudden the walls start coming down and we start engaging other people and giving ourselves a chance to get engaged and we can be there for them and support them. Um, So that's kind of a start, but then you're building on it uh, by getting together a large group of people on a quarterly basis, you're setting up business classes, you're giving people an opportunity to learn with others. And it comes back to putting 
three different kinds of groups, three very disparate groups. And one plus one plus one equals five and more, the synergy that comes out of that. So to be a part of that um, is really special. And our leader, you, is daring greatly and for a very worthy cause. And this, this is really special. Thank you. So I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to, to be part of that and to learn. Um, so thank you. Well, you've been a huge part of it. We, like I said, two years ago, we started out borrowing an office space from our yeah. chiropractor, who's a friend of ours. And uh, he's a great man, Evan Pulver. Yes. And, uh, and, and it's just slowly grown over the last couple of years. And now we're renting <clears throat> space from a local college. And we've got more attendees than we, than we know to do with. We're having to split the programs. And that, I want you to know, is largely attributed to your investment in Bell Institute. So thank you. And I'm not going to talk much more. i got some questions for you, Bob. Okay. And you, you're, you're the founder of uh, Andrew Coaching. But before that, you had a plethora of experience. Can you just highlight you know, your career mm-hmm. over the past 50 years, if you will? Mm-hmm. Been that long? I don't know. Just, just about. <laughs> Sorry. My career has sort of been in um, thirds. Okay. A third of it, I was in corporate America as a leader in different organizations and different levels and different groups and really, really valuable. Some highs and lows, and they're all important. The middle third, I was with a performance management group, a coaching role. Uh, that gave me the opportunity to work in Canada and also move my family down to the United States. The third role <clears throat> is in 2004, I started Andrew Coaching, which is sort of like the coaching performance management role I had in the middle, um, but something was missing, and the part that was missing was the character piece. So I wanted to bring that in my coaching, and character piece is important because character is important, but character as defined in biblical terms patience, kindness, humility, respectfulness. There's eight qualities that are essential. And I didn't even know that when I started Andrew Coaching, but I came to learn that. So uh, it's really like 14 or 15 years, 14 or 15 years, 14 or 15 years. And um, it looks like the next 15 years is going to be different. And that's really exciting too. Uh, So we'll see what God has in store. He's got a number of things happening. Vel is one of those things. So be pleased about that. Well, you took a, so you, you left a, a salary and a corporate job mm-hmm. and uh, took a lot of risk. Mm-hmm. You're an entrepreneur and a leader. I must be an entrepreneur. And I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. Yeah. But I must be. Because when I left, left corporate America, all kinds of security to go with this other company that they, you moved, you had to relocate to where the work was. And also they asked me to take a significant salary cut. So I can remember sitting at the kitchen table with Norma talking about this on a Saturday night. She stood up and she said, I can't believe we're having this conversation. What is it about this thing that you want to do? And obviously I really wanted to do that. So um, I'm really glad it's worked out. Can you talk more about that kind of stepping out in faith, that period of your life? Because I think a lot of people are confronted 
with the idea of doing the normal, secure, <clears throat> nine to five, they're going to get a retirement. They stick with that, but there's a desire to step out and do something unique, use their individual gifts. Can you talk more about that? Mm-hmm. I've always, yeah, to you. yeah, I've always had this thing, this love of leadership, and I didn't know this coaching role in implementing a leadership style in corporate America or any organization actually existed until I applied for... I applied in a um, nationwide newspaper, the only Monday edition I had ever bought. It was primarily business focus. And I applied, and I heard from this company a year and a half later. And they said, uh, do you remember applying? And I said, yes. And so one thing led to another, um, but I realized that it was something that I really wanted to do. And I think back, and I think, what in the world did I do? Norm and I look back and say, what in the world did we do in 2004? We had no idea what we were doing, but there's this guiding hand. Um, John Eldridge says, find out what makes you come alive and go do that, because the world needs people who are alive. So that thread comes through the whole thing. Um, And I have a heart for people. I have a heart for how do we give them the leadership that they need and deserve? so that they can become engaged and contribute. Um, And being a leader is one way of doing it, and being a coach of a lot of different leaders is another way of doing it. And I think the impact, um, there's more leverage, I think, as a coach. Um, But I also don't think I could have done this unless I had been in the arena and um, as a leader and gone through all of that stuff. That was an important crucible. To, to learn. Yeah, talk about that first year, like the fear, the challenges, and then maybe give some advice <clears throat> to somebody who may be considering stepping out and, and charging after their passion. Okay. Um, in both cases, when I left corporate America and I went to another coaching company, and then when I started in your coaching, the first year was pretty rocky. Um, I learned a lot about myself and a lot of things that I really didn't like. I started to learn about my fears. Um, I also wanted it to work so badly that um, I tried too hard. And so um, wonderful opportunities to learn. And there's something about just sticking with it and not quitting. Um, And it never really occurred to me that this wasn't going to work. And it's just, uh, it was blind faith. And they're, they're very different because I was not a believer the first time. And I haven't hadn't really thought, so I appreciate you bringing it up, hadn't really thought about really stepping out of faith, but it was. The second time I was a believer. Um, and so that made a difference. But the second time, there was a long period of time without any, any work. And... Um, somehow our savings carried us through that. It's kind of like the fishes and the loaves. And it worked. There's something about hanging in. And um, somebody said, successful people, the only thing that's different about them is that they have staying power. And they stay with it longer than other people do. Other people will drop off. Um, Sounds like Terry Weaver. Sounds like Bob Koenig. Yeah. That's a good segue. I wanted to ask you, you're, you are the type of person that has this tenacity that kind of, that doesn't quit. And I say that because I know you're 
a quote unquote Iron Man. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk to me about that hobby or that passion, whatever it is. I just want to talk about the Iron Man because there's not a lot of people out there that have done <clears throat> something like that. Mm-hmm. I think it applies to most things that I do. There's something about finishing strong. And there's something about continuing to grow stronger and healthier in the four dimensions in our life, lives, uh, spiritually, physically, mentally, and emotional. That's become a really big thing with me. And this finishing strong, there's not a lot of people that finish strong. So I'm thinking, I have an opportunity, we have an opportunity to encourage people to do that. You read the Bible, and there's a lot of people in the Bible that did not finish strong. Um, there's also something about the Iron Man that is daring greatly, and I could talk for too long about it. It's uh, been on my bucket list that I do an Iron Man when I'm 70, and I had a chance to do when I'm 62, and so as I'm preparing to do when I'm when I'm 70, this is going to be the most difficult thing I've ever done. I've thought that this is going to be really tough. It's turning out to be even more difficult than I thought. But that's kind of cool because in the process I can learn a whole lot of things about how to recover and the things that I need to do. When you're younger, you can get away with a lot of stuff. When you're older, you, there's not as much margin to stay healthy and to stay injury-free. So um, it's really pretty cool. But um, and you're it's so big mm-hmm. that it's, it, can, it takes my breath away. Like, you can't do it, but you can. And at some point during training, you go from, I don't know if I can do this, to, yeah, this, this can be done. I can do this. I just have to be smart and do the right things. And you're, what year are you running it in? Next year. That's the plan. And yeah. you're train, you've been training for how long now? I'm not sure how you break it down, but because um, I've always sort of been in training. And um, there's certainly a final push of four or five months, um, but I've ramping. I've begun to ramp up. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to do a half Ironman in a couple of weeks, and then another half Ironman in another twelve months, and then all of that under my belt, and then I'll be ready for the fall. Now the uh, the Ironman is it a test of discipline or is it a test of fitness? Discipline, yeah, and which which is also about fitness, but uh, it's discipline and becoming more disciplined in all areas of my life. So there's a chance to clean up the areas. Um, and th- this one is different because because I'm older, so I have to be more disciplined in terms of strength and um, flexibility. I have to be much more focused when I'm swimming in terms of technique and bike technique and running form. And so it's to be disciplined for a long period of time um, is a challenge. And then at the end of each workout is to, when you get really, really tired, and that's when the workout I think really starts, when can I go hard? And kind of keep form. So it's, I'm intrigued by that. What do I have to do to make this work? So there, there's a lot of that too. We kind of touched on this earlier, 
um, but you invest in people, and I know this because you've made an investment not only in Vell, mm -hmm. but you've made an investment in me and my co-founders and a lot of the people who are involved in Vell. Um, why, why, why do you invest in people? Can you talk about that? <clears throat> I have a heart for people, and I love people. And it's good for me to realize that. Um, I love to see people grow and come alive. And that's what makes me come alive, is when people achieve success and begin to achieve some of their goals. And just growing for the sake of their themselves, but also for the sake of others. So if we're getting better, and I think back to the book called Mindset, which is a great book, and it's really about how do we continue to grow? And when we fail and things go wrong, and they often do, um, what do we learn from that? And how can we recover from that and be resilient and um, get back at it, get back in the arena? So there's, but it's really there's something about, there's also this thing about making progress when you see people making progress. So to be a part of that and to see other people achieve success. And that applies to my family. When Norma is, when her ministries are thriving, when she is serving her daughter and her granddaughters, and she loves doing that. To see my son-in-law <clears throat> achieving success and achieving some of his goals, when my son is um, at a really good place in his career, and he's growing and getting promoted, and has an opportunity to do the things he loves. That's pretty cool to be part of that and just, just to see it happen and unfold. That's good. Um, where'd, you, where'd you learn how to do this or what inspired you to invest in other people? I, I know you must have coaches yourself, but is there somebody that you say, man, this guy really invested in me and, and I learned a lot from him? Let me come at it from a little different way because this goes back to the beginning of my leadership career. And uh, the reason I took my first job out of college, a uh, degree in mining engineering, in which I worked with a very large mining company, some of the largest equipment in the world, they said, if you join us within six months, we're going to have you in operations as a pit foreman. I had no idea what that meant. So it happened. And then I'm out there and I realize that my degree does me no good. Although, in a way, it did because they thought, okay, this is an engineer and the leaders in this company are engineers, so this guy's going someplace. I wasn't quite sure about that. I had no idea what to do. All I could do is say, this is the plan. And how do we, how do, we do this? Do you know how to do this? And will you do it? And they would go and do it. And... They never said no. And things went really, really well. And I was able to, I love the guys in the front line. I have a heart for people on the front line. <clears throat> Fast forward a few years, I became mine manager of another mine, another part of the country. And I learned a lot. And so I knew a lot of stuff. And I also thought that I had to have the answers. If I'm the mine manager, I've got to have the answers. And then I looked at the numbers, and the numbers were plateauing. Numbers don't plateau. They're either getting better or they're getting worse. So something's going on here. And fortunately, I realized, and this happened over a period of time, that 
I'd gotten away from engaging employees and that I didn't have all the answers and I didn't have to have all the answers. So I started spending more time with the guys in the front line who I loved. I loved being in jeans and a t-shirt and hard steel-toed boots and um, I started spending more time on the drag line and the shovel and the trucks and in the shop and saying, what do we need to do to improve production? And they started giving me all kinds of ideas. You know the really cool thing? None of these ideas cost very much money. It wasn't, you know, we need to invest $200 million in this. And over the next two years, just by helping them implement their ideas, production went up 40%. And so there's something about, I believe in the people on the front line. They demonstrated that. I got away from that. But then I got back to that. And giving them an opportunity to be part of the success of an operation and make progress and improve the numbers and their ideas. All I did was help them implement their ideas if they needed help. And some of them didn't work and we learned a whole lot. So I didn't have to have all the answers, but you know what? I could also bring answers, bring answers to it and say, what do you think about this? And sometimes guys would say, uh, let me tell you, uh, that's not going to work. And so we, you get into a good discussion. So the heart for people is is huge. Let me ask you uh, about success. And, you know, this the definition of success is different from, for everybody. Mm-hmm. But when you think about success, uh, who or what comes to mind? The guys that come to mind are guys like John Wooden. Uh, UCLA basketball coach, and now Brad Stevens. I'm a lifelong Celtic fan, and they've got this young coach named Brad Stevens who is um, the key to the Celtics rebounding. Um, I've had a coach for the last 12 years, David Bentall, and having a personal coach has been huge for me. Uh, Very successful businessman, elite athlete, um, strong faith, um, so humility, Work ethic, I think, is huge. In John Wooden said, all I ask for is your best, because that's all you can give. And if you don't give your best today, you can't make up for it tomorrow, because you can't do any more than your best, but bring your best. And so that's really important. And I think it's also really important to be part of a worthy cause. And those guys are building young men and having a huge behalf over the years. So they're investing in others. And it's interesting, I didn't realize it until now, all three are coaches. And it's about serving others and setting them up for success. Um, so there's something about making progress and doing your best. So it's not about winning and losing, although it's, it's tough to separate that. If we just focus on the things that we're supposed to do and leave the results up to God, um, then we'll stay focused on what we're supposed to focus on. That's good. Let, let's talk about your experience coaching. You you have the opportunity to walk into people's lives mm-hmm. and invest in them for anywhere from you know six months to a year to multiple years, and you see them grow as leaders and uh family members and and business professionals, what does that do for you as a person to see them grow? 
Um, <clears throat> that's really what it is all about. It's also, um, I have never found, and this is crazy, I've never found coaching easy to do. It is the most humbling thing, and it is. it takes the most self-management, the most self-control, and not having to have the answers. It's, um, it's messy, and that's uncomfortable. So it's amazing. I love this coaching thing, and I love watching people grow and giving them an opportunity to grow, but it's never been easy. And so that doesn't make sense. Certainly there's moments when you're really in the zone, and it's like an out-of-body experience. But those don't happen very often. Um, but it's, it's a challenge, and it's a really good challenge because I care about them, I believe in them, and I want them to find out what makes them come alive. That's good. You've, uh, you've, heard, you've coached a lot of people, I'm sure, in your experience, but correct me if I'm wrong, you've had people say, Bob, I've had this passion in me, and I want to start my own business, and maybe it was a coaching company, I don't know. But a wannabe entrepreneur who has a passion in them that wants to go for it, what do you, what's your advice to those type of people? Hmm. I think you need to follow your heart and um, find out what makes you come alive and go and do that. And if you spend a lot of time thinking about it and a lot of time praying about it, um, and you still want to do it, I think you need to go and do it. And I think that's the only way you're going to find out. Because I, I know some guys that wanted to take that leap and then found out that it wasn't for them. And then it becomes, do they stick with it long enough? So there's a lot of risk in there. Um, so you can't really, on one hand, I'm saying, yeah, go and do it. Um, but I also think back in when Norman and I stepped out in 2004, we look back and let's say, what were we thinking? Because I was the least likely person to do that. Um, I had never sold any business. And then I found, in the first year, I found out that 4% of startups last 10 years. 80% fail in the first five years. Of those that make eight, five years, 80% of those fail in the second five years. So 4% make 10 years. And Andrew Coaching has lasted for 14 years. Just finished our 14th year. So it's crazy. So it's tough to answer. I, th I think you need to follow your dreams. I did. I really wanted to do this thing. And, um, and I was willing to work incredibly hard and do everything I could to make it happen. Um, I also knew that if it didn't go, I could go back and get a real job. And that was tremendous motivation because I didn't want to go back and get a real job. Because Norma said on a number of occasions, I've lived with you when you had a real job. I've lived with you when you've been doing this coaching thing. And um, I don't, I, I like living with a guy that does not have a real job. So there's, there's some thoughts. Um, yeah, that's good. That's what I was looking for. Talk to me about growing as a leader and being a lifelong leader. How long? How how important is that? How important is continuing to grow as a leader and and really kind of seeing yourself as a lifelong leader? I see that in you. We haven't <clears> talked <throat> a whole lot about yeah. it, but 
I've got this thing about there's no finish line. And uh, the president of the company I worked with, my first coaching experience, used that. There is no finish line. And then he said, thank God. So there's something about growing healthier and stronger. And I mentioned this before, spiritually, physically, mentally, and emotionally. That's one thing. Um, but what happens if we don't grow? What are the consequences to those around us? And I recently... There is value in us growing as people. Um, and really, aren't we being good stewards? Isn't that part of being a good steward of what God has given us and how he has gifted us? Is to use those gifts and talents and develop those. Um, and in the process of developing those, there's something really special about that that he trusts us to work through us. And then we can use those for good and give other people a chance to grow. But I can't expect other leaders to grow if I'm not going to grow. And that's why I think this finishing strong is so important. So a big part of what I do is, and you, you, I think that's one of the draws to Vel. You guys want to get better and you want to give other people a chance to get better. Um, and I want to hang out with those kind of guys. Um, you can't always choose our clients because there's some people that don't want to get better. Uh, but we can choose the organizations that we work with. Okay, there's something really special going on here, and uh, I would like to be a part of this. But boy, if we don't grow, um, yeah, I cringe. Mm-hmm. And I, I've known and, and I'm continuing to learn it is not easy to finish strong. Um, but no one ever, no one ever said it was going to be easy. Let's talk about lessons learned. If you could pass on some lessons learned in entrepreneurship or leadership or business hmm. startup, uh, we're, we're going to have a lot of people listening to to this podcast, and I want to I want to pass on some lessons that hmm. you've learned. Um, one is certainly walking with God. And that's been the most important thing about life. Uh, my family's different. My marriage is different. Um, that has to be a big part of uh, what kept Andrew coaching going. And when you go through trials and struggles and um, being able to walk with him and learn more about him and more about his will for us, that it starts there. And it's really been so important in terms of getting priorities straight. Like it really is. I used to just say these, but now I really look at them differently and believe them. It is God, it is family, it is work. And I also put work and service together and then hobbies. So this triathlon thing is last, even though to do it, you've got to be kind of obsessed with it. Um, but And then to put it, in the proper perspective. So the walk with God is so important. The other thing is, um, it's always too soon to quit. You don't quit. Um, And growing is such an important part of that, that um, keep growing healthier and stronger in those dimensions of our life. Gratitude is huge. Chesterton said, um, Gratitude is the test of all happiness. 
And so there's been some periods in my life that I haven't had. I realized we're supposed to have the fruit of the Spirit and we're supposed to have joy and peace. I haven't always had joy and peace. And so gratitude is a huge part of that, is to stop and what we have so much to be grateful for. And we are so, and God has done so much for us and so many other people do so much for us. Uh, so the gratitude is huge. Um, and the courage. And that's part of daring greatly is <clears throat> to be courageous. And I read, this really helped me as I go, have gone through things um, because fear has been something that I've dealt with through my whole life. And if we don't do something that we're supposed to do, that's the right thing to do, next time it will be much harder to do. Hmm. But if we do it, the next time it will be much easier. But then when that, what happens with that, then you overcome that and you be courageous for the next thing, it, it gets tougher as you go along. And isn't that a good thing? So it can kind of rock your world, but it's um, in the middle of it, say, you know, this is really good. It's the, one of the most difficult things I've done. Um, but look what it's doing to my character. You talk about uh, your spiritual life and how important is that in your leadership journey and, and what you've done? You know, some people view us as uh, body and, and mind and soul, and some mm-hmm. people put soul last or don't even pay attention to it. But what? how important is that in your leadership journey or any leader's journey? Hmm. Um, <clears throat> one of the first things that comes to mind, I just read a book about a famous runner and famous cardiologist, and he said, he likes to go for an hour run. The first half hour is for his body. The second half hour is for his soul. And so that's a pretty cool thing. But I think of Andrew Coaching. Andrew Coaching would not never have started, would not have, ex- would not have made 14 years without my faith. And it was during that time, I've always sort of known about this triangle. Jesus is at the top, and Bob is at one corner, and Norma is at the other corner. As Bob and Norma get closer to Jesus... We get closer together. Um, and that has been one of the best things that has happened to our marriage is getting closer to God. And as a result of that, we're closer to, together. And it's given us some opportunities to do some really special things in terms of ministry. Um, and part of that is it's getting back to what makes us come alive? What have we got a heart for? And going and doing that. And... God kind of determines that. He puts it on my heart to go and do something. Like, okay, this Val thing is really, really neat. I can get excited about that. Um, so I think to be able to follow those things. But um, I'm spending more time in the Word now and more time strengthening myself spiritually. And that's a really good thing to do particularly if things are becoming more difficult and there's more challenges and uh, it's pretty important to raise our game and become better in everything we do. What does our best look like? That's good. You've worked with a lot of leaders throughout your career. Uh, You've probably seen leaders that don't focus at all on their 
spiritual side. Can those guys last? Have you seen? Talk about that. Hmm. Boy, that's a good question. Um, ultimately, and I wonder, are those the leaders that don't finish strong? Although there's no guarantee to finish strong, <clears throat> but I think with strong faith uh, and what that brings, because there's something about being having an outward focus, being concerned about other people, having a heart for other people. Um, leaders without faith can experience some success. You can muscle your way through things. You can will your way through things. And there's some incredibly talented people. Um, but also, there's there's a book written which is was interesting that uh, George Barner wrote, and he looked at the seven faith tribes, which comprised ninety six percent of North America. There's fifteen values, which are common across all of them, and if they have those values, those are biblical principles. Those work. They can have a tremendous career, and there's some very successful people that aren't Christians but they're behaving in ways that are they're implementing, their life reflects biblical principles. But I think ultimately, um, yeah, my heart goes out to those who don't have a strong faith. Let me ask you about, about your, how you look at your success and failure. How do you, how do you measure that? You know, you, 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 tell me, you <clears throat> talk to me about introspection and reflection and so how do you personally gauge your success and failure? Hmm. I look at myself differently than I look at clients and, and, and how I look at others because I'm looking for what are they doing right and trying to build on that and try to hold up a mirror. Um, I spend a whole lot more time looking at failures and what's not going well. Um, but then I, there's a book by Fran Tarkenton who said, I haven't learned anything from my successes. Everything I've learned has come from failures. So that's not a bad thing because you can, then you're building on that and you're growing. Um, but I really don't look at my career as um, having been that successful or having had that much of an impact on others. Um, I'm really just trying to do the best I can and be there for others, encourage them, and um, believe in them and love them. But, um, and I'm okay with that. Um, so that, that's a thing that I'm wrestling with. And um, how, do I, how do I keep growing? How do I keep getting better for the sake of others? So that's, that's good. I, I like that. I think um, Peter Drucker, we read, we studied yeah. Peter Drucker. He yes. says to, to, to feed your strengths and starve your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And you'd have to look at your failures to find your weaknesses. Yeah. So I guess that kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, pertaining to your, you, you, you're educated. You've got mm -hmm. an engineering degree and yeah. you've got an MBA and you've got a life experience. Mm -hmm. How much have you learned from your failures? It, and is that what you've learned most? Um, I've learned a whole lot 
from that. And I think that's how you improve. But then I also guess think that, you know, there's some things that I love to do and that I have a heart for. And that's for giving others a chance to grow and engaging others and giving them an opportunity and encouraging people. So there's some things there that the things that I do well that really have an impact, I want to continue to get better at those and strengthen those um, and use what gifts I have um, as well as looking at how do I get better? What's not working well? So I think if if we don't look at what's having an impact and going well, we're going to stop doing that and get caught up in the things we're not as good at. Um, and that doesn't help others and that doesn't help us. So it's just still important to look at how can I have the biggest impact? Would you, uh, would you talk about maybe a, a challenge that you've faced in the past and, and share what you've learned or how you, you overcame that? Because I think people have these transition periods in their life where they're smacked with a massive <clears throat> challenge. Yeah. And they either sink or they, they soar because they're, they're going to fight through it. Mm-hmm. And you can learn a lot from those pivotal times in your life. Can you talk to one of those? Mm-hmm. Just one? <laughs> um, more and more. Yeah. And I think these two kind of go together. I battled fear and I battled anger. And I think they're very, very close together. Um, and when you're a coach, you have to be courageous to be able to enter the mess and really engage people and get engaged yourself. And um, so that's been a huge one. And then the anger thing is really about self-control, and that's more difficult to do. And I think there's a tie between triathlons, and it it takes discipline. Um, I didn't realize that, and anger affects emotional intelligence. Those are really tied together. So at some point I realized um, I really had this anger problem and a temper problem, and I've got to do something about it. And so I started reading things and studying. And I had this book on anger management for 20 years, and I finally picked it up and read it. And then I find out my coach had read it too. So I learned about that. And then I also read about emotional intelligence, and I learned about that. And it's, it takes a long time to change. I wish it just happened overnight and all of a sudden I didn't have any anger and didn't have any fear, but it doesn't work that way. But over time, the frequencies with which I have anger and fear get further apart and the intensity of those gets less. So there's a whole lot of work involved, a whole lot of inner work and a whole lot of studying and a whole lot of falling down and making mistakes. And the tough thing about those things, about fear and anger, is that other people are impacted. And you can hurt people. And I'm not sure. I think it hurts more to hurt people. And we're going to get, we get hurt in life too. I'd rather be hurt than hurt other people. But I have done that. Um, So there's something about, Brene Brown wrote another book called... um, rising strong and she talks about rumbling how we rumble with things so we've got to stay with things for a while whether a few days or a few weeks and really think about it and process it and then get some clarity about what I'm going to do next 
So that's a good, and it's also good to engage other people and talk to them about it. But um, it's also very closely related to how can I get better at this? I don't want to be that kind of person that has fear and has anger that adversely affects other people. Um, so what am I going to do about it? And then get better at it. Um, and then realize that, you know what, I can slip back into that. I'm still very capable of being angry. And that's not who I want to be. So there's something about who do I not want to be and who do I want to be. Um, and one of the important things I learned about God, he will not do things for us that we can do for ourselves. And I wish that weren't so, but he will do for us what we can't do for ourselves. So that becomes really important. So there's a bunch of things that I have to do, but he will be there to do what I can't do. And I also pray that, would you cover for me? Because there's things that I'm not going to do very well, and there's things that I'm going to forget. And will you cover for me? Um, and he does. And I've experienced that, and it's really cool. So I look up and say, okay, you got me. You got my back. Let's say somebody comes to you um, frustrated or afraid, dealing with either fear or anger. What what resources do you point them to? Hmm. Or how do you help them? What's hmm. your first first type of engagement? Um, I have some really good resources. A couple of really good books that are good places to go. Uh, and those would be, those are really good to kind of read and study and I'm always open. That that's, sounds like a coaching opportunity. You know, to walk with them as they deal with some of those things. Um, because at some point in time, those things are going to catch you. If you don't, if we don't learn the easy lessons, the lessons get harder, and they got harder for me. So I had this temper anger problem all my life, particularly in sports. I was a hockey player, and that's how you deal with stuff. And it's okay to fight. <laughs> um, but then it really starts to hurt other people. So eventually I had to deal with it. Holy cow, I've got... If I don't deal with this, what are the consequences? For somebody that's out there listening, do you have uh, those books? Can, you, can mm -hmm. you tell us off the top of your head? One is the anger management book. Uh, the other one is on emotional intelligence by Goldman. Um, and I really like the emotional intelligence 2.0. One of the other things that happens, and this is also a very good thing, although it's a very difficult thing and tough, is particularly with my kids, but also with other people, I've gotten much better, quite good at apologizing, confessing, repenting, and asking forgiveness. And that's a really good process to go through. Um, there's a prayer, grant me the grace of a deep and true repentance. So when you do that, um, I think that's a way of building relationships because we're all going to mess up. So there's something very, very good. And my coach modeled this. He's the best at confessing and asking forgiveness. So there's a blessing to this if we're willing to work on it. And it takes a whole lot of work. It takes a tremendous amount of work to change habits. And that's kind of related to this coaching thing, too, because we're asking leaders to change habits. 
And that's why we want to work with them for one to two years. Um, I've changed my running style. I've changed my swimming stroke. And that takes like a year and a half to two years. And you still have to stay on top of it all the time. So this changing habits is really, really difficult. There's so much muscle memory. So there, there's a whole lot going on there. But boy, is it worth it. What if we don't, what if we don't do the work? We're going to continue to be, I would continue to be, have fear and not do things and be angry and hurt people. And that's not who I want to be and that's not how I want to live my life. So if we learn about what's behind this, underneath this anger thing, and under, underneath this emotional intelligence, and how do I become more emotionally intelligent? That's really good for me. That's how I want to live. And I think it's a whole lot better for other people in our lives. That's good. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and, and uh, just a hypothetical question. Yeah. You said that uh, the next 15 years of your life are going to look different, but let's say I left the country and spent 10 years abroad, and mm-hmm. then I came back and we reacquainted. What would have, what, what would have changed? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Kind of, What's your focus for the next decade of your life? Hmm. Um, that's a really good question because as I try to turn it over to God, what do you want me to do? There's going to be something about serving uh, in different organizations and um, having opportunities to do that. And God is so good at opening doors and closing doors. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with Andrew Coaching, but there's some things going on that are pretty interesting, and I can give other guys an opportunity to build something. And so that's um, that's a little different. Um, I will have found, I think, a rhythm in terms of um, getting healthier and stronger physically. And um, I don't think I have to do Ironman triathlons to do that. Um, so I think that that's a good thing I'm realizing that I want to keep that in its proper perspective it's a really cool thing to do and I want to do at least one more but I'm not sure I don't think that's a part of my life going on I'm always going to do triathlons but I may not need to do that but use that energy for some other things that's good while we're there let's talk about uh, just real quick yeah when you're in your last leg of the Ironman mm-hmm. and you got 10 miles left, what are you telling yourself? <clears throat> um, just keep going because at that, by that point, that's probably um, more difficult than the 130 miles before that. And it's really just to keep going and running to the next stop and focusing on form and just trying to get through it, just trying to finish it. Um, and you're, you're all alone out there. It's, and hopefully there's one set of footsteps and uh, they're not mine, they're Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool that way. It, it takes everything you've got 
and I want to I want to leave it all out there, but I want to make the finish line. <laughs> yeah, so that that's when you really find out um, what you've got. So it's a that's a kind of a great test. Awesome. Yeah, what have I got? Let me ask you uh, if you had the opportunity to go back and talk to Bob Koenig yourself at 35 years old, what would you tell him? What advice would you give to him? Oh boy. There's something really important about really, no kidding for real, believing in yourself. Like we've read Daring Greatly, and there's something about believing that you are worthy. And I think that that can change everything. Um, it's healthy, it's better for us, and I think we're better able to serve others and um, be there for them and be more compassionate and be more loving and be more encouraging. So I think that's, um, there's something about, it's a good thing to believe in yourself and why. You can't just, I don't, think it just can't be blind belief. Um, she talks about believing in yourself because of the values that you have. Know those are the right values. And um, build on that. We're going to wrap up. I okay. want to ask you, uh, you have to live by principles. That's 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 yeah. your that's the idea behind Andrew coaching. It's principled leadership. So if you had some principles that you follow or that you would like to pass on to people who are out there listening, what would you pass on? What kind of principles would you pass on? And say these are must haves. <clears throat> the two places that I go in my prayers, um, I want to love people. And that looks like being patient and kind and humble, respectful, selfless, forgiving, honest, and committed. So if I can be those things to people, um, that's huge. And also the fruit of the Spirit, which are close, but they're, they're a little different. When I also pray that when people look at me, this is what they will see. They'll see the fruit of the Spirit, which is Jesus. And they will see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are all really good things. And um, I don't know how I rank in each one of those. But you know what I do know how to do? I know how to get better at each one of those. And those are really worthwhile to work on. Um, so those principles, those guiding principles, there's a whole lot in that. Like fear of the Spirit, it's love at one end, one bookend, self-control at the other. I have more self-control now than I used to have, but um, I've still got a long way to go. And one thing that didn't come up is, and I think this is so important, I'm not the man that I want to be. But there's a big gap between who I am and who I want to be. But thank God I'm not the man I used to be. And there's a big gap, and the gap is widening there from who I am now from where I used to be. 
Um, and the really cool thing is, is that I grow, and that seems to the man I want to be keep, seems getting further away. And isn't that a good thing? I think it is. That's really exciting. Um, that I think makes it a whole lot easier for me to finish strong and. That's really what I focus on. How do I keep getting better? And how do I give other people the opportunity to keep getting better? Good. Yeah. You you you're a huge reader. I know you mm-hmm. consume a lot of a lot of books and you've been doing that for a long time. If somebody came up to you and said, "Hey Bob, I'm just starting this uh, leadership journey and I really want to grow and improve and help others." Uh, could you, what, what three books would you recommend? Or maybe there's two or maybe there's five. <laughs> but um, how would you start somebody off? Because I think there's a, I think there's a <clears throat> place where people go, yeah. okay, I need yeah. to start doing something. Yeah. I need to grow. Yeah. And then everything changes. Yeah. Um, because servant leadership is so important. And interesting that one of the best servant leader that I know happens to be Hindu um, but the book The Servant is a really good way by uh, James Hunter is a really good place to start um, and then Collins is so good with Good to Great uh, Patrick Lencioni has just written some great stuff and they those guys have huge hearts um, you know, we went through five dysfunctions of a team. Um, Henry Cloud. And then some of my favorite books, one of my all-time favorites that I look forward to rereading is called Endurance, and it's about Chapleton. And it's just a story of being stranded for a couple of years. With, and this was in the early 1900s. Um, overcoming obstacles that were Incredible! I think I've told I would have bailed out so many times, uh, but they hung in there. And those stories of the courage and overcoming things are are huge. That hey, I think I've got it tough. I didn't get stranded when our, our ship sunk in the Antarctica and survived over a period more than a year, and everybody made it. Somehow they made it. So those kinds of books. Um, so that's a maybe a pretty good place to start. And I think one of the things that we can we've done with Val is, yeah, these are some really good books, but also it leads you to some really good authors. And I think maybe that's the key, like Collins and Lencioni and Henry Cloud. Um, I still I love Peter Drucker as I get into that, and then some of these other writers about adventures. John Eldridge says, um, every man needs an adventure, a battle, and a beauty. So the things that we've talked about today, you know, we've got incredible wives, but, um, and although I don't often like some of the, the adventures I have when you're in the middle of it, it's like, what in the world is going on? Am I going to get out of this? And some of the battles that we have, that we fight um, and work through, there's something about that that is really appealing to guys and to women too. But so there's the adventure in the battle. So um, 
Wild at Heart by John Eldridge changed my life. And um, it's okay to find out what makes you come alive. It's okay to have an adventure of battle and a beauty. And thank God I've got Norma. I'm thankful that, uh, that you did this podcast with us. You mentioned that uh, over the next kind of chapter in your life, you may be able to pass on an opportunity through Andrew Coaching for others. If somebody wanted to explore that or get to know you or research kind of your history or your company's history, what, where would they go to find that? Um, give me a call. Okay. How about a website? Oh, website is andrewcoaching.com. Yeah, and I'd love to talk with them. Awesome. About what we've done and what we're doing and what we're looking to do. Well, I, I, I personally have benefited from, from my time with you, Bob, and Bell Institute has benefited a ton from you, from your investment in us, and you do it selflessly, and I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for making that investment in us. Thank you for the opportunity to serve. Our mission for this podcast is to bring you stories about veterans, entrepreneurs, and leaders who are doing fascinating things with their lives. Our hope is to inspire you because we believe that inspired individuals will change lives, both theirs and others for the good. Bell Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we're asking for your support. There are two ways to do that. One, by getting involved with our mission, and two, by contributing financially. Please visit bellinstitute.org. That's B-E-L institute.org to help us make an impact.